Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hi, my name's Marty from Alabama. I'm asking about my 401k. It is enrolled in a, a Vanguard Target Retirement 2030. I was wanting to get your opinion of that particular and provides unbiased answers. You're looking at the Vanguard 2030 Retirement Fund. It is heavy on the growth side of the market, and that's because it indexes. Remember, these targeted funds are a great way for the fund families to keep all their money in-house. Invest Talk, over 38 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I am Justin Klein, and I'm excited to have you for today's hour to answer your finance and investment questions with straight and unbiased answers. I'm here to help guide you through this new market regime, new market environment, a new multipolar world that we are in. Make no mistake. What has happened over the past month or so is a sea change in global politics and global financial systems. And that means you need to think of it differently. You can't use the recent past as analog. You need to look back further. And hopefully I can give you some perspective and some understanding of how to succeed in this market as volatility remains elevated and the strategies that you deploy uh, to be successful are going to be very different than what you're used to. And you're probably getting a sense of that, especially if you're, uh, if you've only started investing over the last eight, 10 years or so. You know, I've been doing this for over 20 years. So I've seen different market regimes. I've studied history going back into the 1800s in markets. And so it's about finding those analogs and being able to adjust. And so on today's program and podcast, I'm going to do my best to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So it's my assurance that no matter what I'm talking about, the market environment, uh, a particular stock, a sector, uh, a strategy that can be deployed. I'm here to present it all without bias. I'm just going to give you the facts as I see them. And use my, like I said, 20 plus years of investment experience to give you some perspective. So I encourage you to contact me right now during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, which a lot of you are, you can listen, you you can leave your message on our Invest Talk Voice Bank 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888 chart So let's get to our first listener question now. Yes, hi, my name is Kevin. I love the podcast. I am looking at AEM, Agnico Eagle Mines. would appear that it's over or just below its 200-day moving average, but I'm curious about the position. I have very little as far as the percentage-wise, but 
thinking about moving it up maybe 4% of my portfolio. I'm just curious if you look at this, do you look at the chart or what specifically? Do you look at a 200-day or a 50-day? Looking to add, I look forward to your answer on the podcast. Thank you. All right, looking at Nico Eagle Mines, and this is a stock we own for clients. It's one of our gold miners that we own. They recently purchased Kirkland Lake, so they're much bigger miner uh, nowadays and have a market cap of about $28 billion. And certainly technicals are a factor in play here. And the relative strength right now is 87. So it's outperforming about 87% of stocks over the past year. And it is in an uptrend. It's well above its 200-day moving average. In fact, it broke above that, it looks like, on the 7th of March. And it's just been grinding higher with gold prices. Like I said, I cannot imagine a more bullish scenario for precious metal prices currently. Not only do you have deeply negative real rates, but you just had the Western world cut off the dollar denominated assets of a foreign country, foreign currency reserves, and basically make them unusable. So if you are China or another country that has foreign currency reserves, typically you're diversifying. You're, you have dollars, you have euros, you have yen, you have foreign stocks, you have bonds, treasuries, you have a lot of types of assets. Ma many of them uh, are within the SWIFT system. And so what we just told the world is, if we don't like your politics, we will cut you off. So the West is saying, well, what does this mean for these foreign currency reserves? Are you going to continue to push money into assets within the SWIFT system that can be cut off at any time based on the whims of the West? Or are you going to put it into other reserve assets like gold, silver, that you can hold within your borders that cannot be confiscated, that cannot be rendered useless by a foreign power? I cannot imagine anything that's more bullish for the gold and silver market than, than this. So I think that's why you're seeing the prices just continue to grind higher. And then, like I said, deeply negative real rates, always good for precious metals. So uh, we like Agnigo Eagle, one of the better run miners out there. And we like the combination with Kirkland Lake. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Should dividend investors be concerned over higher interest rates? Historically, the high yield, highest yielding stocks have underperformed those they either don't pay a dividend or have lower yields during periods of rising interest rates. So we're going to look into those statistics. Also want to touch on a few other things if we have time. Number one is the U.S. is rethinking uranium supply for its nuclear plants after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Also, Midtown Manhattan, historically, one of the busiest office markets in the country, actually the busiest, um, and now that's shifting. We're going to look at some, some statistics there. And then lastly, we may get to 
what I wanted to get to in past shows, but hadn't had time, which is what the what what how countries may approach Russia in the future now that you have these sanctions and and um, you know we're entering a multipolar world, so we're going to look at that. As well, once again, if we have time, let's look at the market today. You had the S and P down about fifty-five points, a little over one percent. Pullback definitely into some resistance yesterday. Uh, the NYSE that's that's into the downtrend line from the highs in January, and you got a bit of pullback. That's one day. Um, definitely close week, close near the lows of the day. That's that's a sign there might be some follow through tomorrow, um, but. You know, does this turn into more of a bull flag or do we fail miserably after this post-Fed rally? I think that's what I'm watching for. Today was the first real negative day after the Fed announcement. And what's interesting, go look at the three 10-year Treasury yield curve. It's actually increasing. And that's really what you want to look for when you look at yield curve inversions. It's not the 210. It's a three-month, 10-year. Because a three-month is more indicative of the cost of short-term capital for banks. And that remains still very low. The 10-year has gone up a lot more than that three-month yield has gone up. So that's something I'm watching as well to see if that continues to widen out. You had gold prices up. You had oil prices up on the back of likely more sanctions coming out of uh, the West. And it looks like Russia is hitting storage capacity. Remember, you can't just turn off oil pumps like a faucet. Not that simple. A lot of people think that, oh, you just turn it up here, turn it down here. No, it's a flow. It's flowing. And if you shut it and you stop that, that, that production, then uh, the problems can persist within that sy- those systems. And so the fact that Russia's reaching capacity of storage means that they're going to have to start shutting off some production. And that is not good longer term for their longer term production uh, of oil and gas. And that would come off the, the global markets. So something to be on the lookout for over the next few weeks, if that is an issue, uh, suddenly, I think oil prices continue their march higher in a, in a in a fast fashion. So something I'm definitely watching. Now, Steve and I are grateful for your podcast support and our free downloads. Well, always continue. We want to make sure you aware of some other ways to find our material and unbiased guidance. Invest Talk has a YouTube channel and an Instagram following. We're building out more content on both platforms. So go to YouTube or Instagram and search Invest Talk. Remember, use two T's. Tell your friends. Invest Talk phone lines are open right now at 888-99-CHART. No two investors have an identical portfolio, so each investor will have different questions. I guess I'm wondering how I should kind of diversify. If the questions specific to your portfolio aren't being asked, your situation is not addressed. And I wanted your thoughts on the cannabis market. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein take Invest Talk listener questions each weekday during the program live stream in the 4 to 5 p.m. hour Pacific time. 
the Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes, so your questions are always welcome. As a newer investor, my question concerns positions. You have the right to remain silent, but why would you when anything you ask will be used to help you create your financial freedom? I think it'll probably go higher. And so I would keep a tight stop on it. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steven, Justin, this is TJ from Minnesota. I have a question on Shopify, S-H-O-P. I have very little tech exposure in my portfolio currently. Uh, I know that the current economic backdrop doesn't bode well for those type of securities. However, they are on my watch list. I'm interested in tech companies, a certain exposure in the future, like Shopify. How much weight do you put into intangibles and potential outperformance in the future? And what type of entry point given the rise in interest rates recently? So any info on that would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Well, I've been saying this for a while, that this is a decade where tangible assets are going to be more important than than intangible assets. And you're already seeing that now. Now, that does not mean you don't have tech exposure. You don't have companies that own intangible assets at the right price. And the big question is, what is the right price for Shopify? It's already down about 60% off its 52-week high. Now, it is up decently from its uh, 50-week low of 510 just recently. Now we're at 703 down about $23 today. And earnings are expected to be $3.03. That's down 53% from last year, uh, $6.41. So it's be $4.63 next year. And so I think there's a lot of uncertainty on where their growth trajectory is uh, and what those uh, what, the, what type of profitability they'll be able to squeeze out of this recent growth. Clearly, in the post-COVID world, as more and more people shop online and and turn to producing their own uh, their own products, uh, sourcing their own products, I think Shopify is likely to um, have some nice tailwinds. My girlfriend, she's a dermatologist, just recently launched a skin line, and she uses Shopify, and it's great. It's a great platform. However, it's about the right price. An $88 billion valuation on free cash flow, about $454 million trailing 12 months. Ooh, that's a very low free cash flow yield, about half a percent. And so you need to be growing dramatically for that to make any sense. And I just don't think we're anywhere close to there. I think we have to be sub 300. And I'm looking, honestly, sub 200. That's where I'd pick it up. Now it's at 703. So definitely a name on the watch list, good quality name, good secular trends, but too much uncertainty on the growth in, in the medium term. And the, the chart, while gotten a recent bounce, is likely to head lower. So on your watch list, but pass for now. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888 So I get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, my focus point today is coming up, but we are moving into a quick break. So I'm ready to take your questions live. And uh, we're going to touch after the break. We're going to touch on 
the different sectors and style factors that will will uh, of stocks that have sensitivity to interest rates. We're in a rising interest environment. We're likely will be for the foreseeable future, especially as we're now in an inflationary world, bipolar world, uh, and you have to be prepared. So we're going to unpack some of the statistics so you can be better able to make it, make money decisions using a multi-factor analysis. So we're heading into a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Art in Menlo Park, looking at KHC Kraft Heinz. You want to looking to buy it? Well, actually, I own it, uh, Justin, and uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. I actually bought it uh, probably a couple years ago in the upper 40s for the uh, dividend, mm-hmm. and uh, it hasn't done anything except go down since I've owned it. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, do uh, you think uh, there's a chance that it comes back a little? Well, it's definitely starting an uptrend as of late. It broke above its 200 moving average. It's retested that area and held. So that's a positive. Uh, so the technicals are are looking up uh, in the the shorter term in the, on the daily chart. Now the weekly chart that's a bit of a different story. Um, it's kind of in a, a choppy sideways pattern over the past uh, you know few years. But I think what what's happening here is they're they're working off their debt load. They had a, a large debt load, and they're uh, just trying to um, reposition their business for for growth and and that's really the issue here is uh it's not really growing revenues uh down three percent last quarter earnings down ten percent expected this year from last year 293 to two dollars and 63 cents and then next year only supposed to go up three percent so you have very very low growth yields 4.2 percent which is nice um but you know in rising rate environments uh, lack of growth is going to be uh, somewhat of an issue and so I think that's your the biggest the biggest problem is input costs, um, ability to pass on those uh, those price hikes to their customers. That's going to be a challenge. So, um, you know, I if, I think there's better opportunities. Uh, I don't hate it. If you're trying to be super on the more on the conservative side, this is this is the type of name. Uh, but don't expect this to explode to fifty or sixty dollars anytime soon. I think this is going to be kind of a grind higher, um, and you get that four point two percent yield, which is nice. Um, but overall, I'm not head over heels uh, for it. So that's my take. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on our main focus point, and that is dividend stocks. That's a good segue here. We just talked about Kraft Heinz. That would be a consumer staple company, uh, low growth, consistent cash flow, uh, and pays a nice dividend. Well, in a rising rate environment, the big question is how, what type of stocks are going to do well versus others? Now, stocks uh, that or companies with stable cash flows tend to be more sensitive to fluctuations in interest rates. So think consumer staple companies, think of utilities. These are companies that have low growth and are non-cyclical. And so in a rising rate environment, that typically is a good economy. So cyclical stocks do better. 
most cyclical stocks don't pay big dividends. Now, in general, uh, as rates rise, asset prices tend to fall. When rates come down, asset prices tend to go up. And these are most pronounced in what we call long-lived assets that produce consistent, steady cash flows, kind of long-duration bonds. Think of look at go go look at TLT, the thirty-year Treasury bond ETF. That's not having a great time in a rising rate environment. You know, this peaked in let's see, twenty early twenty twenty, and around one seventy-two. Now it's at one thirty-one. And so stocks that pay dividends, those tend to be more sensitive, more, more like bonds, where there's not a lot of upside to that cash flow to those, those, those streams, uh, streams of uh, dividends, uh, which are similar to interest on bonds, right? Now, dividend stocks tend to exhibit uh, the similar relationships with interest rates as bonds. And higher yielding stocks have underperformed those that either don't pay dividends or have low yields during periods of rising interest rates. Now, if you separate out kind of the the periods, the 25% of periods with the biggest month over month changes in uh, the 10-year treasury yield, so up periods, and the 10 worst periods where interest rates are going down, uh, those you classify as up and down times. And in the middle 50, that's kind of steady state. Well, when in up interest rate environment, rising interest rate environment, non-dividend stocks tend to be up about 9.7%, non-paying dividends. The ones who have the highest dividend, they're only up about 0.03% in that environment, okay? And there's this pretty much a sliding scale all the way down in the uh, different deciles. And when interest rates are going down, however, those companies that pay the highest dividends up about 21%, okay, over those periods. If you don't pay a dividend, only about three, 13%. And if, you're, if you pay a tiny dividend, only about 11%. Now in steady state environments where interest rates are not really going up very much or down very much, well, high dividend stocks tend to outperform higher dividend. But surprisingly, not the highest dividend. And that's the big one of the big lessons in this study is that if you look at the, the it breaks down in deciles from, you know, 10, no dividend to, um, you know, the lowest 10%, then the uh, low, the second lowest 10%, et cetera, all the way to the highest 10%. And so what you see is the 90th percentile and the 80th percentile over the long term, those are the those are the parts of the market that actually perform the best over all periods. And so that's really the lesson here is that it's not about picking the highest dividend. It's about picking consistent dividends that can grow over time and they can reinvest in their business. And so that's the that's the long and short of what you should take away from this study. All right. Now we're heading into a break, so I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, 
We need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Let's go talk to Dan in Piedmont looking at Balak formerly known as Square, SQ. Do you own it or looking to buy it, or maybe do you want to short it? Oh, hi, Justin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm sure. looking to buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's uh, it's a growth rapidly, but it's very expensive. It has came down a lot. Is this a good entry point? Thank you. Well, you just kind of answered your own question. You said it's very expensive, and it, it is. It's, yeah, it's down 60, 53% from its 52-week high, but it's still trading at 70-something times forward earnings estimates. And those earnings estimates for this year, actually, it's shrinking. Last year, it made $1.71, so let's make $1.31 this year. And they're moving into crypto, so you're, you're tying yourself to uh, the volatility of, of crypto. I, I don't know if I love that. So this has to come down a lot more. Definitely sub a hundred dollars. I'm gonna say this needs to come down. Look at the weekly chart here. Yeah, I mean this is this is gonna have to come down into the 60s, 70s in that range. This means it needs to go down to 50%. Then it's in the realm of reality. It's not in the realm of reality still. So it's in a downtrend, still overvalued. You answered your own question. So uh, are you are you guys seeing the trend here? I'm still getting people obsessed with technology stocks. What does that mean? It means they're still in the hope phase. Still in the hope phase. People are not getting the despondent over the sector. When all you hear on the show is, should I buy this oil stock or this commodity stock or this financial stock? That's when it's probably a good time to pick up a lot of these tech names. The trend is down. 
And I actually think there's one more big sell-off in tech to get everybody despondent. Probably comes this summer. So I'm guessing. Let's go to Frank in Sunnyvale. He wants to talk about P-ratios. Hi, I have a, yeah, it's a two-part question. Um, I tend to look for high dividend, low P-E ratio stocks. However, sometimes uh, there's no P-E ratio listed, so I was just wondering what that meant. And the second part of my question is, some stocks offer a 30-day SEC yield, and I was just wondering if you could explain what that was as well. Sure. So some stocks don't have P-E ratio because there's no E. Can't compute when the earnings are negative. That's probably why you're seeing no PE ratio, or it's just bad data. Uh, next, if you're looking for high dividend yields and low PEs, you are going to be prone to buying into what we call value traps, where it looks cheap, it's a high dividend, but they don't have the ability to grow their business sustain that dividend, and that dividend is likely to be cut. So be aware of that. Uh, and then when you look at 30-day SEC yield, that's just a, that's usually in relation to some sort of a fund. Uh, and it's basically a calculation of what the SEC is allowing them to publish that their yield is, okay, going forward. Um, so that's all it is, um, because there can be one-off events. Think of special dividends. Is that special dividend going to be calculated within the expected yield going forward if that special dividend is just one time? And if you own an ETF, for example, there was a bunch of them, and there's uh, part of that yield you got over the last 12 months are special dividends that shouldn't be included in what you should expect going forward, right? So it's just a, a definition of, of that. And what it is, it's based on the 30-day period ending on the last day of the previous month. It's computed by dividing the net investment income per share earned during the period by the maximum offering price per share on the last day of the period. Figure listed lags by one month. And yeah, that's how it is calculated. So you want to look at that definitely when you're looking at uh, a, a fund. Now here's an iTunes review question. Nick in BK says, thanks for the free education. I'm trying to broaden my portfolio into material stocks. Curious what you think of Vanguard's VAW, VAW as a way to do this. Let's take a look at this. This is the Vanguard Materials ETF. Let's look at its top holdings. Definitely strong, as you would expect right now. Um, actually, it's kind of in a consolidation pattern. It's not really bro broken out, so that's interesting. Let's take a look at this. So Lind is its top holding. Freeport MacMoran. So Copper is next. Sherwin-Williams is 5%. That's interesting. More like a chemical company. Newmont Mining, one of the largest gold miners that we own for clients. That's fourth. Air products and chemicals, uh, that is fifth. So kind of diversified amongst, I, I would call some industrial names, Dow Chemical is in there. So a lot of chemical companies 
Um, and that worries me a bit. I don't love the chemical chemical companies as the raw material producers. Because remember, the chemical companies, they need raw materials. They need energy a lot of times to produce their petrochemicals, for example. Uh, in the case of DuPont, that's the eighth largest holding in this fund. So it's okay, but it's not to me, the best way to get exposure to the uh, material space. And you can see that by the chart really being held back a bit, whereas uh, most of the material space is, is breaking out uh, to new highs. Look at IYM, for example, you, the iShares US basic material ETF, that is at a 52 week high close today. Okay. And this is a great example of why you need to really understand what is in the ETF and looking at a chart and saying, why is this one breaking out versus another one isn't? For example, IYM breaking out to new highs. It's top holding is Freeport McMoran. Second highest is Newmont. So that's 18% of the portfolio right there. Copper and gold, two very strong sectors. Okay. So does have some also have some chemical exposure there, but less diversified, focused more on those raw materials. And that's why I like it better than the VYM, which is the one or VAW, excuse me, that you listed. Thanks for the review. Now let's touch a bit on uranium and Russia enriches more uranium for use in nuclear plants than any other country in the world. And there's now talk of potential adding sanctions on Russian uranium. And this is coming partly from senators uh, within Congress, one from Wyoming, which is the main U.S. uranium producing state. And they're filing legislation on Thursday to ban Russian imports, calling dependence on foreign uranium simply unacceptable. Now, a trade agreement limits U.S. dependence on Russia uranium as is to no more than 20% of what domestic reactors need. So it's not like we're completely dependent on them before this war. But no other country really has the capacity to fill that role unless we start to up our production domestically. Now, the Nuclear Energy Institute in D.C. said it was assessing the potential impact of fuel disruption on U.S. Nu the nuclear, nuclear fleet. Uh, but U.S. plants typically refuel every 18 to 24 months. So they, they typically don't plan the refueling at least two to three years in advance. So there's not like they're going to immediately run out of uh, fuel in the short term. But this goes to, to the multipolar world that we're entering, that it's about internal, producing internally if you can, as much as you can. And that's the shift here. So it's about domestic production. And if you have production in the Western world and in, in, in when it comes to uranium, it's pretty much Canada and the US. And then the big question is what happens with future nuclear projects, such as small modular reactors that are under study, not yet under construction, but they're talking about it to replace some of our need for uh, need for fossil fuels. Now, uranium has avoided sanctions so far, 
but the U.S. relied on Russia and its ally Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan for about 46% of its needs in 2020. That's according to the United States Energy Information Administration. Now, nuclear power provides 20% of U.S. electricity and 10% of the global total. Now, uranium can be mined in many parts of the world, but it's also the the process that turns it into fuel, and it's only that only can happen in a handful of places globally. So it needs to be mined, milled, converted into gas, and enriched to increase the percentage of the isotope needed for nuclear reactors before it becomes fuel. And like I said, only a handful of the world can do that. Russian uranium enrichment counts for around 35% of the global market. The only commercial, sorry, the only commercial, where was it? The only commercial uranium conversion plant outside of Russia operates in France and Canada. So we're going to have to rely really on those two. Remember, France has a lot of nuclear plants. The sole U.S. plant is in Illinois, and it hasn't been used since 2017. But it is scheduled to come back online in 2023, according to Honeywell, who owns it. So interesting uh, little tidbit there about the uranium market. And I continue to think higher prices as we enter a multipolar world. Now, we're almost through the first quarter, and 2022 is moving fast. A lot has happened this year. And the big question is, are you prepared? Is your portfolio prepared? If you need help understanding where you're at, where you should be going, I encourage you to reach out to me at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success means we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air, and we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to meeting. Just send us a message to investtalk.com or call our KPP Financial Office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now, this is Invest Talk. Steve and I thank you for downloading our podcast and telling your friends about us as well. We'll play another caller question in 30 seconds. So hang on. Managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk. Hi, it's Mark. I was just checking on Iron Mountain. They have a dividend, and they look like they have quite a bit of upside. I just want to know what you thought about Iron Mountain. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Looking at Iron Mountain, it was about 4.7%, and they provide record management data protection information destruction services. So what they do is they come out, and they take your, your paper and destroy it, destroy documents. Uh, now it's organized as a REIT, which has inter- always been interesting to me. And part of it comes from its storage business. So that that is part of it. They pick up your documents, they will store it. And the rest of their business, like I said, comes from destroying the documents. And it caters to enterprise clients uh, globally. And the issue here is that 
it has some secular headwinds. I know personally for KPP, we moved to an all almost pretty much all digital office uh, three years ago. Yeah, about three years ago, three and a half years ago. So all of our client documents are in, you know, secure servers that are backed up multiple times. And we're not creating a litany of paper that we need to store. Although for compliance reasons, we do have some old, old documents that are in storage just in case we need to get them, we need to pull them out, etc. But after seven years, we can destroy them and we would call a company like Iron Mountain to come out and, you know, and do that. Um, now, with Iron Mountain, their cash flows are dwindling. Their debt is going up. I think this is more of a short squeeze than anything. I don't think there's great fundamentals here. All the earnings are expected to be $4 next year, an all-time high, and it's trading at $52 a share. So that's relatively cheap. The technicals are good, but I don't like the debt and I don't like the secular headwinds. So, you know, uh, short term, maybe probably medium term, looks pretty good. Longer term, I worry a bit. Now, on the next Invest Talk, story behind this headline Pandemic fallout has caused buyer's remorse in the housing market. That's tomorrow, but for now, a break and then your calls. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Hi, my name's Marty from Alabama. I'm asking about my 401k. It is enrolled in a, a Vanguard Target Retirement 2030. Now, I've noticed that it, it has a lot of, uh, like 20% of it's in tech stocks. It looks like it's heavy in the growth. I was wanting to get your opinion of that particular fund, and I have an option of like 24 other ones that I could potentially roll it over should I be looking at uh, maybe changing funds. I appreciate your help. Really appreciate your podcast and, uh, and are enjoying learning from both of you. You're doing a great job. Have a great day. Well, thank you for the kind words. And you're looking at the Vanguard 2030 Retirement Fund. And it is heavy on the growth side of the market. And that's because it indexes. Remember, these targeted funds are a great way for the fund families to keep all their money in-house as opposed to spreading the money uh, around across different funds and fund families, Vanguard gets to keep it all in house. And 38% of this fund is invested in the Vanguard total stock market index, 25% in the Vanguard total international stock index, 24% uh, is in the Vanguard total bond market index, and 10% in the Vanguard total international bond index. So that's basically how it's broken down. And so they get all the assets well, and you're just indexing. So they're not doing a lot of work. Uh, it's low fee. But once again, you are going to be at the whims of how the market is structured. And in today's market, the indices are overweight growth stocks, 
Um, and, and that's not the ideal setup. Now it's low work. It's going to slowly get you more and more conservative as we get closer and closer to 2030, but you have other funds available. And if you want to do a little work, you can definitely do better than this, but you got to do a little work. Hopefully you have some value funds. You got to look, go to Morningstar, do a little research, see what type of performance they have, have the fees they have, and you're probably going to pay a bit higher fee. If you move, because uh, let's see what the total fee on this is. It's only about 0.08%, very low. But you're going to get a much better mix if you're able to do it on your own. And I would encourage you to try to do that uh, with a little research. If you need a little help, uh, send, us the, um, send us the options and we'll give you uh, a recommendation. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899242278. Let's touch a bit on Midtown Manhattan. This is one of the largest office centers in the world pre-COVID. And it's a it's an area built on the five day a week commuter. But that has changed. And there is talk of changing a lot of those offices into apartments because Manhattan apartment rentals are booming. Sales are reaching record levels, but offices in Midtown are attracting barely one third of their pre-pandemic workforce. And that's based on uh, key card readings, right? You, you have key card going to your office. It's a third of what it was pre-pandemic. And that area that it's struggling uh, and the city and state officials are discussing revamping New York City zoning, allowing for more housing. And uh, some planners are skeptical, though, that some of these buildings can actually be converted. But Midtown survival uh, is critical to Manhattan. It's home to nearly 11% of all office inventory in the U.S. last year. Think about that. Think about how much office space that is. 11% of all office inventory in the U.S. In 2019, the office sector employed 1.6 million people, a third of all New York City jobs, and contributed two-thirds of the city's gross product. That's about two-thirds of the economy. As of February, Manhattan vacancy was at a record high, 17.4%. 70% of whom of those who commuted from other parts of from, from outside the city. So it's the world's biggest and busiest office district. And when they do come in, uh, it's bigger than the entire population of Houston. That's how impactful it is. And now it's a third, it's two thirds smaller. So look for some big changes coming for New York City. And it's a microcosm of, I think, what's going to happen to the office market around the country and maybe around the world. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. We do track our download numbers, and we're now closing on 40 million downloads, thanks to you. You can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. 
Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. 